Thank you, John. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans if you're not still there. Only I would like for you to turn with me to chapter 16. Romans 16. And I'm going to read this as we might think it is often read. Starting with verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Uh, Verse 3, Prisca and Aquila. Names, 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 names. Greet, 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 greet. Um, Verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Okay, these are the verses that we skip over, right? I mean, that's the norm when you come to a list of names like this. But whenever you're reading a list of named people in Scripture, I hope that your response when someone is tempted to skip over that list would be to say, with Paul in Romans 6 and elsewhere, may it never be. What a ghastly thought. No, 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 no. So the the truth is, most people gloss over lists of names almost as if each name was specifically given to us right there in Scripture for the purpose that we might ignore it. Romans 6, verses 1 through 16, contain more than personal greetings, uh, more personal greetings than all of Paul's letters put together. This section contains a list of 26 friends. 24 of them are named, two are unnamed. Eight women are included. Five of those women are marked out as being very special to Paul. No chauvinism here. Three of Paul's relatives there at Rome are mentioned. And verse 21 mentions three of Paul's relatives at Corinth. Five house churches I think, can be identified in these verses there at Rome. So when you read these verses in Romans 16, and also at the end of other epistles, when you read these verses, you will get an overwhelming impression that all these people knew each other or knew of each other and prayed for each other, and we are totally clueless about them. But their lives made an impact. And their lives made an impact on the life of Paul. When my father was still alive, I came across a box filled with old family photographs. And as I sifted through those forgotten pictures, because Dad hadn't seen that box in years, um, I had no idea who these people were, but they were my family. They were pictures of people whose names I had heard but never seen. And Dad and I went through them, and all the people were long dead, and each picture had a story. Here was a picture of Mom's cousin, who was a fighter pilot killed in World War II. There was a picture of my granddad with the third of his four wives, not at the same time. He outlived them all, except for the last one. 
And uh, he, he was, this picture was with the third one, and she's the one who raised my dad, although she was not his mother. Her name was Myrtle, and she lived on the backside of Signal Mountain, Tennessee, and rode the trolley to downtown Chattanooga. Granddad married her after meeting her twice because he thought she'd be a good housekeeper. It was a different day. Well, she was that. I mean, they had potatoes every night for supper, but Myrtle changed that. And uh, she loved my father, and she raised him and his two brothers. There had been six, but three survived. And uh, I, I had only seen one faded picture of Myrtle before, but here she was, six or seven pictures of this woman that I'd heard about all my life. I was just, I was riveted. Not, not to belabor a point, but every picture in that box had its own story. Every face had a host of relationships behind it. And in Romans 16, all of these people have connections with each other and really with you in Christ. Eternal connections. Each one had a story that we would find spellbinding. So let's get to know some of our brothers and sisters. Let's launch into the text. Verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Before he launches into the greetings, he has a letter of recommendation. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which, which is in Cancrea, that you receive her in a manner worthy of the saints, that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of, for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. So he prefaces his greetings to the Roman Christians with this recommendation of Phoebe. Now, just to teach a little bit about this in the first century, letters of recommendation were critical throughout the ancient world because anybody could show up claiming to be any Tom, Dick, or Herodian. So words of commendation to churches accompanied letters throughout the first century. And we see this through the New Testament. Paul wrote to Timothy to commend Timothy and then to commend Titus. Both of them wrote to the church at Corinth. Then he wrote to commend Timothy to the church in Philippi. Then he wrote to commend John Mark to the church at Colossae. In Acts, 16, uh, Acts 18, a letter of commendation was sent from the elders at the Ephesian church commending Apollos to the church at Corinth. I'm going to read this to you. The brethren, that's the Ephesian elders, encouraged him, that is Apollos, to go to Corinth encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived at Corinth, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Apollos was so effective at Corinth that later when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Apollos had a fan club. <laughs> I am of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Apollos, and so forth. So, uh, all, all, But all of this was set in motion by a letter from the Ephesian church commending Apollos to the Corinthian church. So we've got these letters of recommendation floating out. You notice those things next time you see them in the epistles. Um, that you've got letters of recommendation for, for Timothy, for Titus, for John Mark, for uh, Apollos, and here for a woman named Phoebe, a sister in Christ. And just like any believer who needed traveling assistance, she would need a place to stay, and, and locals who could help 
her make whatever contacts needed to be made for her business. What do we know about this woman? What can we infer from what is said about here? Because she's only mentioned here in all of the New Testament, just this one place. We can have, make three observations. First of all, she is from Kincrea, which is about eight miles north of Corinth. You remember that Paul was writing Romans from Corinth. This is the place, Kincrea was the place, where Paul took a vow before he returned to Jerusalem at the end of the second missionary journey. It's also the place, do you remember when we were returned from our Greece trip and I showed you the picture there at Corinth of the canal that was dug, that four-mile canal that was dug in the uh, 1800s? That was at Kincrea. That's the place where the canal was dug. So um, Phoebe... uh, was from there. There was a church there. She's a part of that church. Secondly, she's described by two words. The first word is servant. That's the word diakonos. We get our word deacon from it. And the second word is in verse 2, helper, which is actually a pretty weak translation. It means more than just helper. It's more like patron or benefactor. This word occurs only here in the New Testament, but you find the idea of it in the Gospels. Remember Luke 8. I'm going to read this to you from verses 2 and 3. Some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support, that is Jesus and the apostles, Jesus and the disciples, contributing to their support out of their private means. Well, Phoebe was in that same category. She was a benefactor of Paul, and his entourage may well have stayed with her from time to time when he was serving at Corinth. And by the way, don't overlook the phrase, she is a benefactor of many. She may have hosted the Kincrea church in her home. A third observation is she, was, she had the financial means to travel, probably for business, and would certainly not be traveling without protection. She reminds me of Lydia in Philippi, the seller of purple fabrics. And that was such a luxury that it's no surprise that she was a well-to-do lady who housed Paul's entourage after, he was, after she was saved. So we see in the Gospels and we see in Acts what we see here in Romans 16, a woman who served the church at a high level, including the level of visibility that such, so much so that they are listed in Scripture. Phoebe was not a pastor. Scripture precludes that. But the gospel elevates women. Women were the ones who stayed at the cross, who cared for or planned to care for Jesus' dead corpse. The disciples ran away. The women were the first ones to whom the resurrected Jesus Christ appeared. And Phoebe is commended almost certainly Now get this, because she was the one who carried this letter to Rome. The reason that the Romans were reading Romans is because Phoebe served the church well, which is how Paul refers to her. Now, after this initial note, commending, recommending Phoebe to them, probably she was a single woman, no family mentioned, he next mentions a married woman, and he opens up his prayer scroll, hits the tab, Rome, and starts listing the people for whom he prays. But 
uh, and, and the word greet is found seven to- 17 times in these next verses. But the very first greeting simply had to be Pris- Prisca and Aquila. Verse 3, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my sake risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles also greet the church that is in their house. I'm going to stop at that. We'll come back to the rest. When my son David was four years old, he was very excited after church one day. He said, Daddy, I know the names of Paul's good friends. Really? That's great, son. What were their names? Perquilla and Godzilla. (laughs) Well, Perquilla and Godzilla are an example of what we might call couple power. They're always together, they're always effective, and they're always self-sacrificing. And if you look at the span of New Testament epistles in the book of Acts, over a 20-year period, we locate them in five different moves. Rome, Corinth, Ephesus, and then Rome again, and then Ephesus again. To tell you the story, I have to give you a little bit of background, some from Acts, some from the epistles, and some from Roman history. First of all, we know from elsewhere that they were Jews, but their names, Aquila and Prisca, are Roman names. And, and secondly, her name was not Priscilla, Priscilla. That was not her name. I know we call her Priscilla. Luke calls her Priscilla. But the I-L-L-A ending, I-L-L-A, that was the, the diminutive, little Prisca. That was the idea behind it having that added. It was, you know, she was probably small of stature or was little when she was growing up. Um, uh, Felix's wife, who was a Jewess, was named Drusa, and she was known as Drusilla, okay? So here you have uh, Prisca, known by Luke as Priscilla, but Paul never called her that. He only called her Prisca. Why? Why do you want to know, Gary? Well, because I, get, I enjoy speculating. The only, the only and earliest description that we have of Paul is from the second century. Whether it's accurate or not, it, it describes him with intense eyes, a protruding nose, not a surprise, and short. Maybe that was true, maybe not. But Paul never used the diminutive name of anybody. So, here's the third observation. There's never any mention of children. We see them quite a bit in the New Testament, and elsewhere family units are designated, including servants. And the term, and their house, is often used, but never with these two. Even here, it's the church that is in their house. And also, they exercised the kind of mobility and, the, and took the kinds of risks that perhaps a childless couple might feel freer to take. So that's a speculation again, but that would seem to fit with what we see. And, and the fourth point to make is that the Emperor Claudius had expelled all Jews from Rome in A.D. 50 and included in that number, as Acts 18 tells us, were Prisca and Aquila. They went to Corinth, and there at Corinth they met the Apostle Paul. 
and Paul, who was of the same job as Prisca and Aquila, lived with tent makers, lived with them for about two years. They traveled with Paul to Ephesus after that. And Paul left Ephesus, but they stayed in Ephesus and ministered there for several years. And they served the church at Ephesus. And by the way, they discipled a man named Apollos. After Claudius's edict to expel the Jews from Rome expired, Aquila and Prisca returned to Rome. It's about 10 years, no, I'm sorry, about six years later, about A.D. 55, 56. And again, they have a church in their house. That's what Paul refers to here. But eight years later, in A.D. 63, they went to Ephesus again, probably to help Timothy as he worked in the church there. The very last epistle that Paul wrote, his last will and testament in 2 Timothy 4, Paul tells Timothy, greet Prisca and Aquila. Now, it does seem that she was the more talented of the two. They are mentioned six times in the New Testament, and four of those six times she is mentioned first. I think it's very likely that Aquila married up. I identify. Here Paul says they risked their own necks. That is execution. That's what that's a metaphor for. In some episode that we know nothing about during their years with Paul, they risked being executed themselves for Paul. Two lives for one. But they took that risk. Their fellowship with Paul was forged on that anvil of ministry and love that was willing to face that kind of danger. It's one thing, you know, for me to risk my own life. It's quite another for me to risk Betsy's. Aquila had to be fully committed to the truth of the gospel and the joy of our eternal destiny beyond this life for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, for him to allow his wife to join him in risking her life as well for Paul's mission. So, anyway, they ministered in Rome, they ministered in Corinth, they ministered in Ephesus, they risked their lives, they were generous with their funds, with their business. Paul says, all the churches of the Gentiles give them thanks. Wow. All the churches of the Gentiles. Dr. Ralph Kuyper and his wife, Nan, were an amazing couple. Nan was about six feet tall, maybe six one. She had the look about her that she could be a prison warden for men. Except for this twinkle in her eye. Dr. Kuyper, Ralph, was five foot three and totally blind. Betsy and I uh, met them while they were, he was speaking at a conference at Bryan College years ago. And at that time, they'd been married 35 years. They did a lot of traveling for the Lord. And we had dinner with them. And uh, one exchange between the two of them was so priceless. I, I write things down from time to time. I like to remember things because I've got a bad mem uh, memory. So I wrote it down when I got home. Nan said, dear, you're wonderful. And he said, I know it. <laughs> and she said, she said, don't you think a little humility is called for? And he said, I'm just being truthful. I'm the child of the king. 
And then she just laughed and laughed. And when she could catch her breath again, she said, isn't it grand we weren't wasted on somebody else? <laughs> Together, an amazing team. Just like Priscilla and Aquila. Well, let's get to know some more people. Um, in the next section, it's more condensed. Paul groups these people by marriage, by family relationships, brother, sister, son, mother, and also by house churches, assuming that the phrase, those with them, refers to churches, and I think it does. Look at verse 5 as it continues. Greet Epanetus, my beloved, who was the first convert to Christ from Asia. Probably the first convert there in Ephesus in Acts 18, verse 19. But now was with them in Rome, and he had a special closeness with Paul. He's called my beloved. Verse 6, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Now, Mary was a common name, but she's commended because of her self-sacrificial service in behalf of the church at Rome. And I want you to notice the past tense verb, has worked hard. We'll return to Mary in a moment. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles who were in Christ before me. Now, there's a lot of controversy, actually, that surrounds this verse. It's, uh, first of all, whether Junius is male or female, I think, I think she's a female. Uh, the name itself, I think, is more female um, in, in almost all of its occurrences in the ancient world. The second part is whether she was regarded as outstanding by the apostles or as one of the apostles. And the third question is whether or not the word apostle is meant here in the sense of an office like Paul's apostleship, big A, or in the original meaning of the word like representative, little a, which is also used in the New Testament. Along with questions about Phoebe, who is a deacon, servant of the church at Cancrea, I'm going to address some of those questions in a few weeks. Or leave them for Lewis. I don't, I don't know. But, but whether or... Um, for now, I just want you to enjoy the fact that she's mentioned here alongside Andronicus, and Paul makes three observations about these two. First of all, if you take the word kinsman in its literal meaning, not just the ethnic meaning of Jewish, but in its literal meaning, that means that they are Paul's relatives. Secondly, they suffered some sort of forced confinement alongside Paul in some circumstance we don't know about, some imprisonment. Third, they were Christians before Paul was. Now, Paul was saved about A.D. 33, and since the gospel hadn't spread far beyond Judea and Samaria by the time Paul was saved in Acts chapter 9, I'm going to speculate here again. This is more speculation. I'm going to speculate that very likely they were among the Hellenistic Jews that we read about in Acts 6. And perhaps, possibly were in Jerusalem very likely for, um, uh, very likely for the uh, celebration of Pentecost at which so many people realized we're, we're confronted with the fact that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. Now, regardless, they were in Christ before him, which means they would have been in his crosshairs as he persecuted the church. Perhaps their defection in his mind 
fueled his hatred of the church. I don't know. Um, but there is this relationship that they have with him that is precious to Paul. Look at verse 8. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Wouldn't you like to be so well regarded by Paul that he simply calls you my beloved in the Lord? You know, outside of this church, I think I have four friends that I would describe this way. But most are in here. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Stachus is the third person described as beloved by Paul. These are fellow workers with whom Paul spent long hours of deep friendship, and, and we know nothing about them. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Are you picking up by now that Paul, with almost all these names, Paul says something encouraging, something that expresses their value either to the church or to him? Can you imagine, after reading this, Hi, uh, I'm Apelles, the approved. Hi, back at you. I'm Andronicus, the beloved. And they greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit. Verse 9. I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 10. Uh, I've already been in verse 10. Uh, verse 10 continues, Greet those who are in the household of Aristobulus. If this is Aristobulus, who is the grandson of Herod the Great, he died about five years before Romans was written, but his household would still be intact. Verse 11, Greet Herodian, my kinsman. That's Paul's third kinsman so far. Greet those of the household of Narcissus. That's a house church who are in the Lord. Verse 12, look at verse 12. Dear, what shall we name the twins? Well, they're such little things. Let's call them delicate and dainty. Trephena and Trephosa. Greet Trephena and Trephosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Now, Persis, the beloved. Again, there's a fourth time that term is used, only uh, here, it's a female name. Her name is Persida. And I want you to notice something that applied to Mary back in verse 6 also is mentioned of Persida. There is a difference in tenses. Se several of the people are described as workers. And it's a present condition. It's a present tense verb or participle. But with both Persis and Mary, the past tense is used. They worked hard, or she had worked hard, which implies a condition that they had fulfilled but now no longer can. It may be that they're too sick or frail. For whatever reason, they can't serve now in the way that they had. Doesn't matter. Paul loves them. He wants them to be recognized and remembered and greeted. Verse 13, greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait just a minute. His mother and mine? <laughs> he doesn't refer to them as a relative. He's not talking about Paul's own mother, who would be in Tarsus. But Paul referred to the mother of Rufus as a woman who had become like a mother to him. He loved this woman. And she may have had a very interesting background. 
with Jesus. It all depends whether or not Rufus is the same man that is mentioned in the Gospel of Mark, and I think he is. Mark 15, 21. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene. Listen, the father of Alexander and Rufus. To bear his cross. Why would Mark mention them unless they were well known to the early church? And by the way, you've got to pick this up also from Acts 11, verse 20. Some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, came to Antioch and began speaking to Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Was Rufus the Cyrene a part of that evangelistic team? If so, then he helped lay the foundation for the Antioch church, which became the mission base for the missionary journeys. The mind just sort of hovers over the possibilities here. And, and that's what they are. We don't know, but the Romans did. Rufus and his mother... Paul loves them. You know, the closest thing that we come in the New Testament to a systematic theology is the book of Romans. And these verses show just how warm and personal a systematic theology can be. Verse 14, now Paul mentions two more house churches. Greta Syncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobos, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them his mental Rolodex of people he prays for. Do you think any of them had interesting stories? And then after conveying all these greetings in verse 16, he now shifts gears and reminds them to greet one another. How are they to greet one another? This is the audience response part of the sermon. With a what? Holy kiss? Greet one another with a holy kiss. 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 Five times in the New Testament. One of them's here. This morning I'm announcing an exciting new application. It's the Signal Mountain Bible Church Pucker Up team. You know, the New American Standard, the ESV, the King James, the NIV, the RSV, all translate this the same way. Greet one another with holy kiss. Uh, Gene Peterson, his paraphrase, the message, <laughs> puts it, holy embraces all around. Holy, it just sounds like Batman and Robin. Holy embraces, Batman. J.B. Phillips, who was from the, his paraphrase, in 1958, uh, said, Trans rendered it this way, give each other a hearty handshake all around. Well, J.B. Phillips was British. So, different cultures greet in different ways and in different decades. I'm, I'm not trying to impose first century Mediterranean culture on us here. Some cultures do today greet with kisses on both cheeks. Uh, and what this is probably referring to is women with women, men with men. Uh, uh, in, in Kazakhstan today, I learned from uh, the Puyas in my growth group that men greet other men by kissing 
on the lips. And if you turn your face sideways, you insult them. Not going to Kazakhstan. <laughs> and also, cultures change from decade to decade. Uh, when I got into high school and, and uh, then into college, my dad stopped hugging me and started giving me handshakes. Um, uh, I found out later he didn't want to embarrass me as I was getting to be an older boy and a young man. And when I found that out, well, forget that. I'm, I'm hugging my dad. And he was pretty happy about that. We're a hugging church. Um, I enjoy getting my weekly hug from Scott O. And I enjoy it when he then puts me back down. <laughs> uh, I love it, actually. I, I really do. Um, I, I, was, I was watching uh, Lewis in the hallway earlier uh, before Sunday school when he was helping, uh, he was teaching some of the children a new handshake. And it was something between him and the kids. And it was, it was just special. Oh, their, li- their eyes were big. They were having a great time with, it, with their pastor. It was just fun to see the specialness of that. Displays. Uh, I know we have to be careful. Uh, some people are uncomfortable with uh, physical affection, especially with non-family members. I'm aware of that. Uh, and we don't have a pucker, pucker policy here. Uh, and, and remember, it's to be a holy kiss, so that it's not to be abused. Here's Paul's point, and I think we understand. Here's Paul's point. However it's expressed, we are to, either by word or by deed, communicate our affection to one another openly. Our mutual love and affection does not exclude race or class or education or age. It does not, and when it's expressed, it does not allow for grievances to remain or for petty arguments to stay in between one another for reconciliation. The holy kiss was an expression of two things. It was an expression of love and of unity, that we are one in Christ. The opposite of this is not to receive Someone. So think about what it would look like in the early church. Jew and Gentile who avoid each other now publicly show their unity in greeting one another with a holy kiss. Imagine what it would look like today. I mean, Palestinians greet Palestinians with a kiss. In Israel, Jews, we greet Jews with a kiss. But for a Palestinian Christian and a Jewish Christian, to greet one another with a holy kiss, that is a public statement of the gospel. And then he concludes, all the churches of Christ greet you. All the Christians in the Mediterranean world. Remember, he'd been visiting them to gather the offering for Jerusalem. And they wanted him to pass their greetings along to the church at Rome. So if somebody says, okay, Gary, I... I just can't understand Romans. It's too hard. I've listened to the 102 sermons so far. The book of Romans was not written for professional theologians. It was written for poor people, for rich people, for men, for women, for a set of twins, for a buddy's sister, for a friend's mother, for an old person, for a young person, for someone who's vibrant and energetic and someone who's 
feeble and can't do as much anymore for Jews, for Roman Gentiles. Doctrine is not cold and sterile. It's given in the context of relationships, and it's warm and vibrant and real and true, and it's anchored in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 26 people here. Three of them put themselves out there at risk, specifically as mentioned. 23 of them, it simply said they worked hard for the Lord, most of them. Every single one of them has a story to tell. When I was in high school, as a boy, down here at Baylor School, used to be all boys military. And uh, we'd arrive at school at 7.30 and get picked up at 6. And uh, I spent a good bit of time looking at... Um, um, the trophy case I was picked up outside the gym uh, and I would look in that trophy case and see the boys who had been a part of that school in generations past look at their photos it's you know that scene in the dead poet society it was kind of just like that where Robin Williams takes these boys out and he says see these boys they all had hopes like you they all had dreams like you and they're all dead so, and he quotes the poet Horace, see, carpe diem, seize the day. Just totally existential and humanistic to its core. But the point is, the time does pass. I had my 50th high school reunion two years ago. Had a class of about 80 or so, 13 have died. And the thing is, remember that old couplet, I, I challenge you with this from time to time, one short life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Is your faith centered in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation? Scripture is very clear. Not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. We're saved not by works, lest any man should boast, but by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, receiving the gift of eternal life. Every one of these people has a story to tell, just like you have a story, only your story is still being written. What will your story say? Uh, yeah, some here are nearer the end of our story than the beginning. But in Christ, and here's the thing, our stories are all a part of a much grander and greater story. And one day, you and I will not only greet one another, but we're going to greet Phoebe and Andronicus and Epanitus and Nereus and Impliatus and get to know Rufus's mother, part of our eternal family. Lord, I thank you for...